So we're going to look this morning at, uh, go back to the book of Proverbs, which is uh, in the Old Testament, and uh, it is kind of, the best way to describe it maybe is God's book of common sense. Uh, it is uh, a lot of wisdom that comes from uh, God teaching us in the light of grace and in the light of His covenant how to live in very practical ways. So it deals with very practical stuff. So I'm just going to pick, because it's a book that is full of very short one-off sayings, um, it's easier to look at it uh, in themes rather than maybe reading through a chapter of Proverbs. And the theme this morning is anger, because the Bible has quite a lot to say about anger. Uh, and we're going to look at, well, I'm going to pick out three Proverbs to read at the moment, uh, and you'll see the theme coming through from that. But then we'll kind of, we'll, we'll look at, at wider script. There'll be quite a lot of looking at wider scripture today as well. So uh, there's three readings, three verses uh, from Proverbs. The first is Proverbs chapter 1, uh, which some of you may well know. And some of these Proverbs have actually come into just everyday language and everyday life for us. Uh, Proverbs 1, uh, 15 verse 1, um, which maybe will come up. There we go. Uh, a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. And then the second one is Proverbs 22, verse 24. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go to a wrathful man. And then 30, verse 33. My favorite, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. I think in the NIV it says... Uh, but twisting the nose produces strife, and pre- uh, I, don't know, I can't remember what it says, but it's, it's uh, slightly uh, funnier uh, in the NIV. But nonetheless, it's, uh, it's really saying uh, that uh, anger can easily be provoked, uh, and when it's provoked in the wrong way, it causes strife and division. So these are three of the Proverbs. I'll be... I'll be uh, Dipping into various other verses from Proverbs, uh, I'll, I'll mention them. Um, actually, the, the, the NIV one is, for churning cream produces butter and twisting the nose produces blood. So stirring up anger produces strife. So anger is a huge subject. Um, and I'm, I'm going to try and be practical because Proverbs is a very practical book. Um, and it's bringing our... Uh, relationship with Christ as Christians, what Christ has done for us, into a very practical realm, into the way He wants to change our heart and some of the issues that we have in our hearts. Um, so, and anger is one of them. I wonder what you think of when you think of anger. There's lots of different things, maybe maybe injustice, maybe bad temper, which we've spoken about there, maybe scary people uh, are b- being hurt, or maybe you think of the Incredible Hulk, or um, maybe if you're Scottish, you think of Ballistic Bob from Chewing the Fat, uh, who used to just lose it after so much when he trying to open a sellotape at Christmas time and just throwing the whole room and knocking over everything because he, he just lost his temper. Or maybe the film, 12, the classic film, one of my all-time favorites, 12 Angry Men. Or maybe you're immediately thinking, move, move towards social media, uh, which can be so vicious with personal insults and with rage, um, and maybe particularly post-lockdown, we've seen that spilling into society. We've seen it in our neighborhoods, and we've seen it on our streets increasingly. Great amount of impatience. And we see a great deal of ugliness. 
that comes from angry hearts that uh, spill out into uh, our public uh, relationships with one another. Maybe particularly today you feel affected by anger, maybe the anger of other people. Uh, Maybe you've been the victim of of people who have been very angry uh, in what you regard as a very unjust way. Or maybe you yourself. And if we're all honest, I think, and I certainly uh, would recognize that uh, welling up of unrighteous anger uh, that sometimes uh, we experience, and we have, a, we have a problem with our temper, with a problem of, of being in control of that. So it's a huge sociological, I think, physiological, philosophical, theological issue, but I'm going to be mainly practical uh, in the short time we have together. But I think it's so important to stress at the beginning uh, about the reality of anger that uh, God has anger. Now, we might want to walk away from that concept uh, because what I'm, what I'm not saying is that we have a, uh, as a lot of people who maybe are not Christians think that we've got an angry God, a God who's capricious and full of rage and uh, just full of uh, wild temper. That's not what the Bible uh, describes at all of God, and it's not what God is in His character. But in John uh, 3, verse 36, we've got not long after the very famous verse about, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We have these words, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So the Bible often speaks about the wrath of God in terms of His anger. And uh, so, so the Bible clearly displays a God who is wrathful and angry. We sung about it in Psalm 90 and also uh, in the uh, hymn uh, just before uh, the sermon there um, that we sung in Christ alone. Uh, and the Bible makes clear that God is perfect, that God is good, and He has an unchanging character. Uh, he is infinitely holy and just and loving, and He's the author of all of life, and that is His great glory. But His anger is a reflection of His justice and of His love, of His perfection, and of His holiness. Because if you don't have perfect anger, then you can't have perfect justice or perfect love, because His anger is… a recognition and uh, a response to his hatred of evil and of sin, because evil and sin are destructive of who God is and what He has created, which is life and uh, the world in which we live. So it's a reflection of His justice and it's a reflection of His character. It's never moodiness. It's never capricious. It's never bad-tempered. It's never a flash of heat. It doesn't change. It's fixed. It is a fixed and rational and reasonable response uh, to all that is dark and black and evil and uh, uh, sinful. And it will always, because God is God and because He's eternal and infinite, it will always be meted out. His justice his judgment will always be meted out on sin and on evil because it's sin and evil is destructive of who God is and of what He's created. And he's, sin and evil is destructive of us and of life and of love 
and of goodness. Anything that usurps God and His glory and His truth and His love and His life will be judged. And the consequence of all of that, and we've seen that, and we know that from the the progressive revelation that we have in Scripture of what our condition is, the consequence is death. So that immediately kind of brings everything that we're looking at today into our own personal space, because we're all people who experience anger and no anger, but we also are people who are mortal, and we all die. And therefore, die is not just, dying is not just a natural thing. It is as a consequence uh, of our sin and rebellion against God. So we have this reality of, of who God is. I'll say a little bit more about that as we go on. But taking that then into uh, what the Bible goes on to say is of us as being image bearers. So we're image bearers of this God. So anger is part of being image bearers of God. Um, and that's important to remember. It's, part, it's core to our humanity. Every single one of us deals with and faces anger in our lives. It's something that comes from God, but it's been bruised and broken and disordered because of our sin and our rebellion against God and losing uh, relationship with God. But that means that our anger in, in all its wrongness is redeemable and can be good. So I want you to remember that and just keep that with you just for the rest of the sermon. There, there, there is something good and redeemable, or redeemable and good about anger, but we need to look at it and see it in the context of Christ and grace and, and the changed hearts that He works within us as believers. But as image bearers, we get that, don't we, about anger? I, I hope, if, even if you're not a Christian today, I hope you get the fact that when we think of God and anger, that's not a bad thing because we imperfectly get that in our own anger. We get angry when we see something that's really bad and wrong. When, when we are faced with injustice, that, that wells up, anger wells up within us, and that's not a bad thing. We recoil from evil. We are protective uh, of good. We hate wrongdoing. Sometimes it's maybe wrongdoing on our own terms, but nonetheless, we, every one of us hopes that evil will be held to account. Not our evil, maybe, but everyone else's, especially bad, bad evil. We really want that to be taken into account. We want there to be justice. We don't want people to get off with things. We don't want uh, evil and sin and wrongdoing in others far away from us just to be let off. And we cry out against injustice, and it, it does make us angry. So we, we do imperfectly get the, the, the whole concept of righteous anger. But maybe what we struggle with a bit more is, is what God says in His Word, is that we're, part of, we're actually part of the problem as well. Not just the, the injustice and the evil that we see around us or in other people, but we're part of the problem. Every single one of us are part of the problem because by nature and by choice and by our life, we want to take God's place. We want to take God's centrality and God's glory. We want to be independent. We want to be the decision makers. We want to decide what's right and wrong. We'll decide what we'll get angry at or what we'll get happy with. Um, and we don't want God. We don't want His perfect goodness, His, his all-seeing eye exposing our hearts and our motives. No thanks. We don't want that. We don't even necessarily want His justice and His love. 
naturally because we are sinners before a holy God and, and we face without Christ, without the gospel and without all of that which we'll come to, to look at, we face God's righteous wrath because we have fallen short. I've fallen short of my own standards. How much more of a therefore fallen short of God's? And I think we can all associate with that. And as believers, we recognize that and we recognize that our death in this life, a physical death, is also symptomatic of a spiritual death that will separate us from God eternally under His judgment. But sin does distort what we think and how we think about God, and uh, it's twisted and distorted so that we're angry with Him, uh, we reject Him, and we uh, go our own way, and we set our own standards. Now, that is bad news. It's really bad news. It's dreadful news. And sometimes we're, we just recoil from sharing that with people who aren't Christians because we think, well, they're, they're never going to turn to Jesus Christ and become Christians if they hear that kind of stuff. But it's until we see that stuff, we're never going to look for and seek out for the, how remarkable the good news of the gospel is and why it's such an amazing thing to uh, trust in Jesus Christ. Because we remind ourselves of what Jesus has done. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him has eternal life. So what, what is it that He did with regard to anger and wrath? Well, He internalized it because for us. Because God knew that we could never make ourselves right. We could never change our own hearts. We could never make ourselves pure and perfect and holy before Him. So He says, well, I'm going to have to do it on their behalf. He internalized. When you see the cross, what you're seeing is God internalizing His own wrath on Himself, on the person of His Son, God the Father, on the person of the Son, taking the punishment due to us so that we can be forgiven and redeemed. It's what, in the big long words of the children's catechism, he died in our place. He, he was our substitute. He took our place. And on the cross, it, it's the only, and it's a mystery, isn't it? It's a mystery to me. I, I get so frustrated because I can't explain it to myself, let alone to everyone else. But what we do have is, one of the Psalms speaks about the, the love of God and the justice of God kiss mutually at the foot of the cross because it's the only place where His great love for us and His great justice and wrath against our sinfulness can be dealt with because He becomes our substitute. God takes the price. God, the Son, has the Father's wrath poured out on Him. And so it's an internalization because of God the Son is God, God the Father is God, God the Holy Spirit is God, the Trinity together. Uh, for everyone who will believe in what Jesus has done, this triune decision, willing, voluntary, free, uh, that has always been part of His unchanging plan. It was always His plan because He knew we could never make ourselves right with God. In the infinitude of His love, He's, he's paid the price for our sins, and He's taken the wrath that is due to us on Himself. 
And so we always need to, we all, if we're looking at anger, which we are this morning, we always need to see it through the lens of the gospel. So that brings us on then, in the light of the gospel, in the light of what Jesus has done, to say a few things. One is that anger, we remember anger can be good when it is redeemed. Um, through faith and in the power of the Spirit, prayerfully, it can become more Christ-like. And we're going to come back to that uh, just at the end. But we recognize that in our lives as Christians as well, uh, that sinful selfishness destroys the outworking of anger from our hearts. We've seen that in the Bible. We see it from the very beginning. Uh, that Adam and Eve, in the very beginning, misdirected their anger. It should have been poured out on Satan. They poured out on God. Uh, it, was, it was put in the wrong place. They were angry with God. And sadly, all of us, all of humanity, if we had stood in their place, would have done exactly the same. And then Cain, in his anger, rage kills Abel. And then Moses gets angry and murders the Egyptian. And then we have the story of Balaam and Ahab and Haman and Esau and Absalom and Jonah. Jonah! Great story with Jonah. Who does, who does he get angry with? He gets angry at a wee shrub that comes up and then withers away, raging. Raging at the shrub, raging at God for bringing up this and then taking it away. Anger, out of control, temper. And then we see the Proverbs, that, some of which we've read, and there's, there's some other ones about being tempered. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Proverbs 15, 18. Proverbs 17, 17, 27. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Proverbs 29, 22, an angry person stirs up conflict. A hot-tempered person commits many sins. So there's this constant recognition in the, in the Proverbs that anger often spills out into just bad temper and being out of control and damaging other people and raging at God. And we also see in the New Testament, there's a couple of verses which highlight anger in terms of, of uh, uh, sinful practices. So, you know, Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, and every form of malice. You know, we know these, these lists that the New Testament apostles have for our practical outworking of grace in our lives. Colossians 3.5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So it's interesting, you've got wrath of God in the same context as our misplaced anger. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. It's all connected to a heart that's out of control, a heart that's still raging against God and raging against other people. And we see that uh, so often, that it's other people's problems, isn't it? When our anger gets out of control, it's because someone else is to blame. It might be God, it might be our neighbor, it might be our husband or wife, it might be our colleague, but it's always someone else, and it always gives us a reason to uh, be self-righteous in our anger. And, and we know it, don't we, from experience, our irritability, how, how out of perspective our anger can be. You know, we rage when we can't control the situation. The red traffic light. 
We can't control it. The timekeeping. Why can't they be on time? And we get so angry. The untidiness that we see around us in the office or wherever it is. Why can't everyone be tidy and neat like me? Or when we argue, so much of our arguing is because maybe someone says something to us and so we we feel accused, we feel defensive, and we get angry. How, How many families in the world have stopped speaking to each other for generations over something they can't even remember the start of, or maybe over land or of an inheritance. Uh, and, and these things become massive, or bitterness, the church, theological differences, where, oh, and this is the worst one, isn't it? Where we all feel, well, God's on my side, clearly. God must be on my side, because I'm a believer. And we forget that everyone else is believers, and actually God's on nobody's side, that God is God. Uh, we become personal and vindictive with our this theological differences. We take the place of God. We don't act with grace and with forgiveness and with gentleness for others. We just rage at them because they're just not like us. No sense of our own frailty or sin. Violence. Drink unleashing anger and violence. A low opinion of other. Passive aggressiveness. Manipulative anger. Political and- anger. Self-righteous anger where we take the position of judge, truth keepers, and use the anonymity of online to express our rage. Why is that the case? Why is anger so much of an issue and so much of a problem for us, even as believers? Well, the passage we read in James was interesting because it reminds us of our motives. And there's a couple of, there's two things from the James passage Um, In James chapter 4 at verse 12, it said, There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So part of it is because we still have a tendency to act like God, and we want to take God's place. So we feel justified in being angry at everyone else if they don't meet our standard. God says, vengeance is mine. It's sinful rebellion, really, so often against his lordship, against his governance, against his sovereignty, against what he has brought into our lives. What it really is often saying is, you know the Lord's Prayer? Uh, Thy will be done, your will be done in heaven and on earth. But usually anger comes from the fact that we've changed that prayer and we say, my will be done. It's it's about me and not about God. And uh, if I don't get what I want, if I don't get my way, then I'll be angry. I'll be angry with others. Primarily, I'll probably be angry with God because He hasn't given me what I want, what I deserve, what I ought to have. And we miss, we're misunderstanding grace and our position as sinners deserving nothing before a holy God, and yet He's poured out everything in His blessing on us. There's only one lawgiver. So we act sometimes as if we are God. And I think the other thing that James, that passage we read together earlier on, was it reflects what we truly value. You know, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It's not this, is it not this that you, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you do not have, so you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, you do not have because you do not ask. So there's that whole thing about, uh, it reflects what we truly value. 
if we, rev- if we truly value getting somewhere on time more than anything else, if we truly value everyone respecting my opinion before everything else, if we truly value being in control, getting our own way, being at the center of our lives, even our happiness and our pleasures, even justice and goodness as I understand it, if we have displaced God from that and His Lordship, we're still battling with fundamentally selfish and proud motives. And, and that's, that's an ongoing battle in my life. And it's an ongoing battle, if we're honest, in all of our lives as Christians. But I conclude with, when we think of, of these motives, I conclude with the fact that as believers today, we have no excuses because grace calls us to change and empowers us to change. We have the power of the gospel. So, we're not to do what we're, we're mostly tempted to do today, to think about, that'll be a great sermon for like, like guy, person next to me. Oh, I wish someone, I would love them to hear that sermon. But as we read God's Word and as we hear God's Word, and as, as I hear it, I've got to say, this is something that I have got to deal with and allow Christ's power and gentleness to transform me and deal with my uh, anger and make it righteous. So, we've got the example of Christ. So, you've got the example of Christ's physical life that we have in the Gospels. Um, he did get angry, didn't we? We see that at different times. We see him getting really angry when God's house was turned into a, a commercial uh, uh, buying and selling and, 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 and was being misused. He got angry at the, the hypocrisy of the religious people. A great challenge for us. He got angry at, uh, when, at his own disciples when they kept the children from coming to him. He got angry at these things. He never lost his temper or got angry when things were done against him personally. He remained silent. He forgave his enemies on the cross. As he was being crucified, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. There was controlled, perfect strength in his displays of anger. Now, I'm going to say a little bit. I hope there's no overlap this evening. But this evening, our theme is meekness from the Beatitudes, and that, that is who Christ was. But we also see the importance of being angry well in, in the wider New Testament teaching. Ephesians 6, 26 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. So it says, you know, in your anger, do not sin. So there is anger, and we can be angry and not sin. It's not easy. But how do we do it? We take our anger to God. Don't let it fester. Don't let it become selfish. You know, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. That's a great, that's a great uh, piece of practical advice in marriage, uh, in relationships. You know, don't let angry, anger go undealt with. If it's important enough, deal with it. If it's not important enough, love covers over a multitude of sins. Recognize your motives um, be angry at wrongdoing in the right way. Now, each of us will need to work out how to do that. There's so much that is unjust, isn't it? But what are we going to do? I think we're reminded uh, from Proverbs as well, not just to take the example of Christ and be angry well from Ephesians, but also Proverbs, the first text we read, a gentle answer, tur- a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs it up. 
So in other words, speaking about controlling our emotions, controlling our anger, being gentle and, and, and not in a soft, weak way, but in a strong way, thinking before you respond. You know, so much of our bad temper comes from a quick, fiery response, doesn't it? When we just ping out something because we're, we're frustrated and angry. Be constructive in our dialogue. Be patient. Be spiritually self-aware. Ask the questions. You know, when you prepare a sermon like this, you're, you're not, I'm not thinking about you guys. I'm thinking about me. And I'm thinking, why do I get angry when I'm just coming up to a, a, a crossing that I have to get across in the car and the lights change to red? I've got immediate thought, okay, I'm going to amber gamble. Am I going to go through the red light? Because it's really important that I get through there. And if I'd, then I realized the car in front has been law-giving to the last degree and has stopped at the amber. And so I slam on the brakes and have to stop behind them. Why am I angry? So I have to ask myself, why am I angry in that situation? Why do I rage at that situation? And that's when we need to take God's Word and, and allow it to soak in our hearts. Say, why am I angry? Why, why do I feel the need to control that situation? Why am I frustrated at a law keeper when I'm tempted to be a law breaker? I know that's a Maybe, a, maybe an insignificant example. Maybe it's not if I went into the back of the guy because I wasn't thinking. But be spiritually self-aware and also be aware of others. Be angry well. Control our emotions. Keep learning to love. And I think that's probably the key to everything. First Peter 4, verse 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So that means that when we recognize grace and what God has done for us, we look, at diff- we look at other people and God differently, and we recognize that our love covers a lot of the minor issues that we would otherwise get angry at. It's an ant- antidote to grumbling, that we spend our lives showing mercy and charity and patience and forgiveness, making moral evaluations about, is this worth getting angry about or in love and in grace, can I cover over this because of God's mercy towards me? You know that great passage in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, love, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It's not easily angered. So grace is not easily angered, and we need to work at that. We need to grow that grace in our lives. It's that love, love I'm speaking about is not the love of the rom-coms, I'm not meaning that. It's that loving your enemies, those that you're angry with, maybe. And we don't repay evil with evil, but we look for ways to redeem the offender and to love them and to bring them back. And last, last couple of things, get serious about prayer in terms of anger. Think again of the Lord's Prayer, letting God do His will rather than us doing our own. Um, recognizing that our anger has often separated us from God and also from one another and asking for forgiveness and dealing. Wrestling with God in prayer about your own heart, about my own heart, about my struggles with anger. If you, if you recognize you're struggling with anger, that's a great thing. That's a great, it's, a first, it's a great start because then you're looking for an answer and help and for uh, change. And Christ is the only one who can deal with that and who can uh, change our hearts. Seek His forgiveness We're never static. Allow the surgeon's knife to uh, cut out the cancer of sin and anger in our hearts. And lastly, 
be obedient. So you've got these two verses from Ephesians and Colossians, get rid of, put to death, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice, these things that well up from within us. We can't do it on our own. We need God to help us put selfish anger to death, not other people, metaphorically, anyway, in our lives. Unrighteous anger is really about changing people or situations outside of us. Grace asks the question, why are we angry and how can I change? So if I would recommend one book, uh, which is, would say a lot more than I've been able to say and say it a lot better, it would be a book called Good and Angry, Redeeming Anger, Irritation, Complaining and Bitterness by David Paulison. Really great book. If you, if you want details about that, just let me know. But it, it's a much more in-depth look at this issue of our hearts and changing our hearts. So the practical reality of the gospel touches every one of us and it touches every one of us to see our need of a savior uh, and the need of the only one who loves us so much that he's taken the wrath of God in our place and also who loves us enough to redeem our own hearts and the anger that makes a mess of so much. Let's pray. Father, we pray and ask that you'd help us to follow you, serve you, and love you. Forgive us for how often we can get really angry at, at tiny little things like Jonah did and uh, justify it and be so proud and uh, so righteous in ourselves. Forgive us for not seeing your great uh, holiness and justice and wrath, uh, an unpleasant concept for us in the 21st century to think that we're not in control of our own destiny, but we are rather guilty before the living God. Yet, in your great love, you have paid the price in our place and simply want us to follow you. Help us to do that. If we've been Christians for a day, a week, or 40 years, help us to do that uh, again and again. And may your word challenge uh, any who might not be Christians to think about the gospel and Jesus and uh, the truth of God's word. We ask it in his name. Amen.